Welcome to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. Each week, we interview top experts in physical therapy, pain science, and integrative pain care. You'll learn the most up-to-date information for treating and reversing persistent pain. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Tata. Hey there, welcome to episode number 242 of the Healing Pain Podcast. Thanks for joining us and taking the time to download this week's episode and tune in. My guest this week is Matthew Embry. Matthew has a great story of overcoming adversity and a chronic condition. Matthew was diagnosed with a debilitating form of progressive MS, where he was offered no cure and few, if any, solutions. So he and his father, who is a PhD-trained researcher, set out on a quest to find answers. They dove into the peer-reviewed medical literature, and they discovered natural ways to halt and reverse the progression of multiple sclerosis. His entire journey can be found in the Amazon documentary called Living Proof, where Matthew shares his story of halting the progression of MS. The documentary also explores the relationship between MS charities and the pharmaceutical industry, their lack of transparency with regard to medical funding, as well as their power, influence, and sometimes their ability to avoid opportunities to raise awareness around lifestyle-based treatments, such as nutrition and exercise therapy for the treatment of MS. We discuss his story and how potential conflicts of interest affect those in need of chronic disease treatment. Okay, without further ado, let's begin and let's meet Matthew Embry. Hey there, Matthew. Welcome to this week's episode of the Healing Pain Podcast. It's great to have you here. Hi, Joe. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sometime a couple months ago, I was checking out Amazon Prime and flipping through, you know, movies and things to look at. And I came across your documentary, Living Proof, and it really struck me and, and your story struck me. And I was looking forward to having you on the podcast and just talk to you. And I know that this message is going to resonate with a lot of the followers of the podcast. You know, if we can start for you, it's been a number of decades now, but can you take us back to when you were first diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and how old were you and what, what did that look like for you? Sure. I mean, again, yeah, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. It's great to have this kind of exposure. We're going back over 26 years ago now when I had my first exacerbation and I was 19 years old and like, you know, most 19 year olds, not know what to say, you know, I was pretty physically fit and active as best I could be. Came home from mountain biking, was kicking a basketball actually, and suddenly was having trouble feeling the ball in the, the way that I was used to. Been about 20 minutes-ish, that feeling of numbness. And it's hard to explain because it's, it's almost like a hypersensitivity on one level too. It just spread right up into my chest. And that's when it started. And then after that, leg spasms followed. And, you know, of course, you think you pinched a nerve, especially because I'd just been biking, you know, something like that. And then, you know, you're off to the neurologist after seeing your general practitioner and then had the MRI. And then, you know, that was when the whole... This part of my journey began. And 25 years ago, things were, were different. You know, there's more information now about MS than there obviously was 25 oh, years yeah. ago. I'm just wondering, what were the treatments that were offered to you back then? And how long were you, I guess, engaged with that, I would say, traditional allopathic model of treatment? Yeah, I mean, I went right on. I mean, I did the first dose of steroids right away, the prednisone. And that was the first thing. And, you know, to, to the prednisone's credit, it did subside some of the symptoms, like the leg spasms in particular, I remember, it went away, which is really good because that was very bothersome, bothering to me. 
But back then, I mean, the, the MS drugs were just getting into the market in a big way, right? They were very experimental. I, I believe I was given an option to go as part of a trial, like a test trial. I think it was with beta interferon. Uh, forgive me if that was not the drug, but I remember that was the case. But there wasn't much. I mean, you know, they used to refer to MS, I've been told, as, you know, diagnosis, audiosis. So once you had it, it was, you know, goodbye. They give you some pretty grim outlooks, right? And they divide it up into three categories, for me at least. And this is where it's going to go. And that didn't work for me and didn't work for my family. So that's when we decided to get active. And then, so you mentioned your family. I mean, I know your dad's a big part of your story and he's a big part of the movie Living Proof, which everyone can check out. It's on Amazon Prime. I recommend everyone check it out and watch it, especially if you're someone living with MS or even if you're someone living with chronic pain. It's a really great documentary. But was your dad the one to kind of start to, I mean, your dad has a PhD, so he knows, he understands research. And I, mm-hmm. he started digging into PubMed and pulling things out about, you know, various nutraceuticals and diet and lifestyle and exercise. Was he the kind of force that took your journey in that direction? Or was it kind of both of you together that said, hey, we have to find an alternative solution to than just medication? When I look at all the serendipity and the things that had to happen for the journey to go in the direction it did, it is incredible. And one thing that I shared on very few interviews is that a month prior to my first exacerbation, I had a very deep sense to change my diet. Okay, this is, a, this is true. And I didn't do it, but that happened. And then I believe it was my mom who in the car ride somewhere in there said, you know, this has to have something to do with diet. I mean, she was a nurse. So she instinctively had controlled our diets previously when we were young. So we had a lot of food allergies. Mm. And then my dad just, he, you know, PubMed wasn't around at the time. So he had to go to the medical library. That's where it started. So he kind of went after it. And then another serendipitous thing happened where someone from my high school shared a, a book that was about diet. I think it was Dr. Swank's research was in the forties and fifties, I believe. And that really set the course. And then within six weeks, not even, I was on a very specific diet regime. And has that diet changed since, since you first started or have you modified and tweaked? I mean, I know you're mostly on a, a paleo style diet. Yeah. I mean, it has changed as I've gotten older, it's gotten harder. I thought it would go the other way, but it didn't. It's gotten more restrictive for me, which just has its own challenges, but it is, you know, dairy free, gluten free, you know, moderation in eggs, no legumes, you know, low fat, low sugar, and then, you know, high in vegetables, protein, things like that. And then again, what I try to share with people, and I'm not alone in this, is that, you know, there's going to be specific foods to an individual that could cause them problems. So we, you know, we talk about get people getting allergy tests and things like that. And then what I really try to share with people is really studying your body, like a lab, being very present and how you feel every day. So when you wake up, you feel, you know, I feel fatigued or whatever the case is. Like, what did I eat yesterday? What was the roadmap? What did I, is there something that stuck its way into my diet? Right. Uh, which is getting more challenging these days. I don't know why, but they, people are, you know, companies are adding additives and things like this to gluten-free, dairy-free products. And then they, yeah. You study the additive, you're like, why is this even in there? Right. And then you're on your butt for a day because it wipes you out. But, you know, so I agree. It's become more restrictive, actually. I mean, I think it's good that you're helping people raise awareness around their diet and how it affects their body as well as their brain. Right. Because those two things are intimately Mm -hmm. connected. They're interconnected. Right. Especially with MS. And then you're saying, hey, 
maybe gluten-free doesn't work for you, but just give it a try and see if you notice a difference, basically. Because your body's your own chemistry lab, right? I mean, I tried to, I mean, there's, if you go to directms.org, dash ms, we have, there's this, the science is all there in regards to, okay, why are these foods, you know, why are we eliminating them? And so we do for, for MS in particular, it's a science-based approach with gluten and dairy being taken out. Here's, and here's why that it could affect your multiple sclerosis. So, you know, it's, it's a challenge because the MS, the best bet diet is a little bit of a buckshot. So take this out, take this out, take this out. Once you've got rid of those pro-inflammatory foods, the journey can continue. Yeah. So you mentioned in the beginning, you were taking some medications for your symptoms. You discovered diet, started to experiment with that. You're now on a, you know, what I think most people would say a strict paleo diet. Are you medication free at this point? I think people would want to know that. And Mm -hmm. have you been medication free since, since the dietary changes? Yeah, I've been medication or MS medication. I want to be clear, MS medication free for over 25 years. Because, you know, one thing that I do struggle with, especially I think in the U.S. in particular, it can be even more dramatic. There is a major anti-pharma, you know, ideology that goes on. And, and I'm not that extreme on that side. If there was a drug that was highly effective with no side effects and cost-effective, I would take it. I mean, I take antibiotics when I need to. I take Advil very rarely, but when I have to, like I'm not too extreme that way. But no, with the MS drugs, I haven't, I haven't touched any of them and I don't intend to. I've yet to see one that really interests me. Yeah. So using obviously pharmaceuticals appropriately, they can be part of someone's mm-hmm. plan. But there was, I don't know if he's a physician or a researcher in Living Proof that he had pretty good, like he made a point to say that the MS drugs that are currently on the market really have no long-term studies to them. Mm-hmm. But I think it's such an important point because there are lots of medications that seem to work in the short term. Some of them are based on the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. just kind of raising awareness around that point is important for people to recognize because then they start to see, okay, medication's not necessarily, it's not good or bad. It could be a part mm-hmm. of my program and realize that I should be aware if I'm taking this on a long-term basis that there aren't necessarily good studies to show their efficacy or potential harm. And a lot of medications, we don't have long-term studies re- regarding harm of the medication. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what the point we were trying to make with a lot of the film is saying, okay, like if you are on the, what's, what's the comparable for the person who's on the drug and not on the drug over 30 years? That was where Dr. Ebers really weighed in and, and so there was really no long-term effects, which was, you know, Personally, for me, it was actually really encouraging to hear that, you know, just from an old personal perspective. <laughs> like, here's one of the, here's arguably the top MS researcher in the world. And he's saying, yeah, if you don't take it, it's okay too. Right. So, like, okay, well, why would I do this? <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. I, I thought the same thing when I was listening to him. I was like, all right. So, if we can kind of reframe what he's saying, it's like this drug may have a place short term, maybe for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And then you probably need to wean off or come off that drug and lean into the other lifestyle factors that you talk about on in Living Proof and on your website, just so everyone knows the website is mshope.com and everyone can check that out. Mm-hmm. And when did that website come into play? Because it's a great resource if anyone's interested in learning more about Matthew's approach and all the different lifestyle approaches on the website. Yeah, that uh, we created that in 2000, I think it was 2015 or 2014, I can't recall. That's when we launched it. The, the genesis of it was just to be able to reach people. 
I'm a filmmaker. That's my job. I knew how to communicate with people and try to reach the masses. And that was the goal because my parents had direct dash ms.org and that was good. But my perspective was it was a little complicated and it was very in depth, which is not a bad thing, but for the average person, sometimes that can be a challenge for me too. So I'm not saying that find that challenging either. So I wanted to make one that was really user-friendly. So people who were just newly diagnosed could go. And one thing, I know it's called MS Hope, but I would like people when they log in, they see me and they go, okay, this guy is after 25 years. And then the hope goes away and then you put it into action. Mm. So, right. Cause I think for me, that's it. If you don't get to work and get after it, you can hope all you want, but it's not going to, it's not going to have much effect for you. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, Really what you're saying is life is a participatory sport. So you can learn about things and read them and they Mm -hmm. seem interesting. And then there's that point when you kind of cross that threshold and you say, okay, I'm going to take what I've learned now Mm -hmm. and I'm going to put that into action to see how much I can change in my life. Exactly. And I wanted to, one of the other, from a creative point of view, I wanted to make it so if I was diagnosed at 19, what would I want to see? Mm -hmm. That was how I thought. Because when I was diagnosed, there was almost nothing. There was like one book from Judy Graham that was super inspiring. Like that was it. And I didn't know anybody or a man in particular outside of Richard Pryor. So, you know, back then I had to like formulate what I wanted to be. And I did a lot of stuff like the vision stuff like that is becoming very popular now. Way back there. I was already doing that, creating that person itself. What I appreciate about your website is that it's very clear and easy to understand a lot of websites mm, that you go good, to you. around health information, they're very complicated, use complicated words. They're mm-hmm. too long. They don't have a good direction or, you know, kind of actionable steps to take. And when I go to your website, I'm like, okay, here's diet. Here's exercise. Yeah. Download some things and very simple, like here's what's recommended mm-hmm. based on the science. And there are things that people can implement into their life and they don't cost much, right? The diet is expensive, I think, compared to the average diet. And the supplements do can, can be pricely, but we're not talking about $50,000 a year drugs. Like it's, right. That's right. It's a different game. And I try to tell people it's a very hard message to communicate where it, once you start taking care of yourself, like once you start looking after you, then like the universe is going to shift around you. And all of a sudden these financial concerns will shift too. I get, I know that sounds out there, but I've lived it and I've seen it. So, but you got to take that into be you being your health being the number one priority for you that you did that all of a sudden better your world. Do you find that I, cause I know you talk to a lot of people with MS and you have gone around Canada talking to people at conferences. Do you find that yeah. it just takes time for people's perspective to shift from one where I have a diagnosis, I'm sick and I have to take medication to one where, okay, I have this condition. There are things I can do to overcome it or to significantly alleviate it. And then that perspective shifts of someone being diagnosed with a disease or a condition to yeah. going back to where they were. That's a great question. And that is, if I could figure out how to get that light switch for people, I try to study it. Like I try to figure out what it takes for someone to get their, to jog their mind out of. There's a belief system there that is ingrained, yeah. especially in American culture. Yeah. Like you said earlier, if there's something wrong with you, you take a drug. Yeah. That's and also ingrained in us from an early age. Yeah. And I also think too, that there's an idea that like, once you're diagnosed with something, you're on a downhill descent and you can't free yourself from it. 
And that's a cage in itself. And so people, you know, one question, because one of the big terms in MS is progressive MS, right? Which means it's progressive. So people ask me what kind of MS I have. And I tell them I have progressive MS, but I'm progressively getting better. And so I flip it. It could be a weaponized term, right? It's like, oh, you're progressively getting worse. No, you better take a drug. Well, like, is that true? And, you know, and this is where we're living proof, my story and Dr. Walls. And, you know, we have a sequel coming. We're going to show that this is not, it doesn't have to be the case. You know, I'm 45 years old now. I'm in, I'm doing a marathon next month. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not boasting, but I'm in incredible health. So, like, is that the outcome? Like, who, why aren't I on the front of the MS Society? Yeah. <laughs> like, and not that I'm saying I want to be, but it's like, it does seem ridiculous. I like the reframe. So I'm progressing to be better. Yeah, every day. Like every, every day. single day. I, that's my other part of the message where it's like your journey to optimal health starts like right now. Right. So you can like turn this off and go work out, do something good. Like there's so many things. You, every opportunity is a choice to better yourself. You mentioned some of the MS societies and there's, there's an MS society in every country now. Has the mm-hmm. Canadian MS society, if we can chat just for a minute about that. You talk about sure. them in, in the film a little bit. Have they tried to yeah. reach out to you, collaborate with you? No. Nothing. No, they had an opportunity to speak on a panel with me in Toronto and they declined. You know, they said in their, they gave a speech or like a little line. They said there were some factual problems with my movie. And I said, okay. And I addressed the crowd and I said, you know, it is. I, I, I said, there are some factual problems because I think I said that the in the movie, I think it's about 15% of their money goes to research. Well, the truth is it's 13%. So they're right. I inflated the amount that they give to research. I mean, I think it's a shame that they don't collaborate with people like yourself that are raising awareness. And I mean, ultimately, you're educating people about what the options are. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take time. And I, I think, you know, I'm obviously back then there was a lot of anger. I was a younger man and I was really trying to get, to get out there. But now it's more like, okay, how can we shift this? And are they even like relevant? Like, I know that sounds in the online space. Like sometimes I compare the likes. I'm like, okay, if I post this compared to like what they post, like it was actually happening. Like, yeah, they can buy the billboard, but are they actually getting the traction? I don't know. So it sounds like your messaging has started to change since that initial movie, Living Proof. That's a good question. I mean, in regards to like diet, exercise, vitamin D, prayer, meditation, not really. I mean, those are similar kind of definitely going that way. But if, if there is a message shift, it's certainly about really putting people to accountable for their own health. I'm definitely stepping back from systems, expecting the MS society to help or like whatever to help. It's just, okay, look, it's on you. That's a very hard lesson to learn for most people, me included. Like I had to learn it the hard way. Like help is not on the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is in little bits, but then once you get enough, once you built your lifeboat, you got to, you know, you got to row it. Yeah. I know you talk a lot about personal accountability on your social media a lot. Yeah, I do. And I do. You know what? Can I tell you, do you have time for one story, an interesting story that, about too. this? Yeah, shoot. Yeah. So, so normally I run train outside. Okay. And it's brutal. Like it's brutal. I live in Canada. I have this hill that's like, hor- it's, it can be horrible. Like it's hilly. It's really tough. Okay. So then we've got all these wildfires. So we can't run outside. You really can't go outside right now. So it's for a couple of days, I went to the gym. And, they, you know, for days in a row, I went to the gym and I worked out. I'm like, hey, this is actually really nice and comfortable. And there's a shower and all like that. By day three, even though the skies had cleared, my mind had already convinced me to go back to the gym and not do the hard work. 
And I had to go, okay, no, Matthew, you've got to get out there and go do the hard work. And that for me, it was a lesson. I'm like, okay, even in my own discipline, my body was pushing me towards comfort within two days. Right. So, and that's, you know, my life. So I'm like, okay, you have to be, it's a daily, daily exercise. And I mean, is that your message as well? It fits in well with the message of chronic pain because, you know, what you're describing really in lots of different ways is what someone with pain lives like on a daily basis. It's so easy mm-hmm. to get lost in, I hurt, I'm going to sit down. I'm not going to exercise right. today. I'm not going to go to work today. I'm going to serve right. myself with food or exactly alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Fill in whatever addiction that all of us as humans are susceptible to because our brain is just naturally evolved to seek safety and stay away from danger, basically. Right. Safety and danger doesn't necessarily have to be like the saber-toothed tiger. It could just be, I'm tired today. I don't feel like running outside, like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah, really interesting. It's like, it's just-, just a little bit of your, like, I sense a little bit of mindfulness in there. Like, you recognize that you're getting kind of caught up in that pattern of mm-hmm. comfort. And you're like, all right, I need to push mm-hmm. myself a little bit today and see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, I taught myself a lesson. I'm like, no, you're going outside. And then when I got myself outside, I'm like, no, you're going further than you would normally go. And I just, I don't want to come across like I'm punishing myself, but I'm just better. I'm sharpening the blade. And that's not an easy process. I I truly believe you don't have growth without struggle and conflict. People don't like that. That's not the message people want to hear. Most. Some of us do. But I also believe that there's like, I'm fairly spiritual as well. And I think that's the next film is really going to go into that. And I do think our material beings are reflections of what's going on on the inside. And so if we, once we enter disease state, yes, we, there's external variables we've got to deal with, but there's also, you know, incredible internal variables that we've got to, we've got to go after, which is very hard. So I am not going to pretend that I have mastered this or have any great advice because it's very, very, it's, it's way harder than I think than the other stuff. Yeah. So on that note, you have a good support system around you, family and friends, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you have a spiritual foundation that supports you in all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And practice. For me, it all comes down to practice. Like you wake up in the morning and, you know, I think that spiritual discipline is incredibly difficult. I do sometimes, you know, when I get on my soapbox, I, I, I don't think spirituality practice discipline is about comfort. I just don't. I think that you can feel that. And if happiness is a byproduct of that, feelings of euphoria come from the discipline, then that's great. That's, you know, my journey. Well, because doing the work can be difficult sometimes, whether it's spiritual work or whether it's actually physical work. Yeah. And I think that for me, I've just chosen to just go into that. And if I didn't have the good outcomes, then fine. Like if I was really ill and things weren't good and, (laughs) you know, and then I'm crazy. But things are pretty good, man. So you mentioned a second film. Can you tell us yeah. about some of the plans around that, around the next movie? Yeah, I mean, there's two parts. I mean, one, we shot a ton on the first movie that didn't make it to the screen. So we have some great characters and some great moments and things that, that need to be, I think, shown to the world. And then also, too, we have, so there's been new developments and other treatments that we want to explore. Things that I've done that we haven't got, haven't gone public with that I think are really, could be really important. And then I can't give it away, but we're also involved in other major projects right now, in my opinion, that could yield some incredible results for people in the next, say, decade. 
I can't say it. I don't want to get to say it right now, but it's uh, very, very hopeful. I don't know if we're even going to put it in the movie, but some things have come to the surface that are, again, there's just, it's like it's the Star Wars trilogy. There's lots of different obstacles that come with new things, right? But you got to keep moving. And the next movie is focused on MS as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I hope that when you saw the first one, the way I designed it, I guess we designed it. We designed it in a way that it was not just about MS. MS was the flashpoint. And, and even if you see how we wrote like Amazon Prime, it's like on autoimmune disease. I really tried to create the movie that this is for all illness. Yeah. MS is just the, the catalyst. I mean, definitely that's the message. When I saw it, I was like, this is a, a really good movie, not just about MS, but for almost every chronic disease that people struggle with now, whether it's physical or mental. And they, at this point, all overlap in my mind. So I think it's a really good model for lots of different conditions. Yeah, and that was the intent. And that's why I chose scenes around the family. And I chose scenes to show, okay, that you know, you're diagnosed with Alzheimer's and you're going to struggle with this stuff. Here's some of the, the, the human variables you're going to encounter, right? And then how we designed it that way. And then we, we really try to show hope. I mean, one thing I really don't like is movies, you know, there's a lot of sadness in Living Proof, no question. I mean, but if you don't show like hope at the end or like, okay, here's a how to, I get very frustrated. I'm like, well, why did I go through this? <laughs> like, there's got to be some light at the end of the tunnel. In my opinion, I've been so when I make movies, I ask the team, I'm like, well, if we're not offering this solution here, then why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did one on opioid crisis. So, I mean, I, I kind of know a little bit about the pain, the pain world. I mean, even in that film, we tried to, to show some hope. Yeah. Your movie, when I watched it, like great message. And then it syncs really nice with the mshope.com website. So people can watch the movie. They can kind of get motivated in essence and then jump over to mm-hmm. the website and download whatever they need to get started, which I think was really cool. So it was done really nice, really well. Yes. Thank you. Um, and that also was the intent. Right? So I would tell people in the edit suites, I'm like, look, we've got, after they turn the movie off, they're going to go to their phones and go to the website. That has to be. You know, not that it's a big infomercial, but in a way it is. Like it's, you know, yeah. it's like that, that was the point. Yeah. I mean, I think people are looking for strong call to actions like that instead of some of the call to actions and the advice they hear from the allopathic world is, well, you're just going to have to learn how to, you know, deal with this for the rest of your life, basically. And that's completely different message than what your entire platform is really sending. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, where I'm at with my life too. I'm, I'm kind of happy to hear you. I am happy to hear you say that because that's, I agree with you. I totally agree. Like that is the problem where it's just like, while well, you're sick, here's, here's a remedy to treat the symptoms and good luck. We'll see how this goes. Like, I don't think that that's very helpful. Yeah. And I think, you know, my perspective is, you know, I was literally having this conversation with my wife last night where it's like, where are my upper limits? Like, that's how I see my life. I'm like, I'm 45. I'm doing this. And I never thought I'd be in this great shape. Like, I didn't. I thought by 45 would be over. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, like I'm been be- I'm in better shape than I was in my twenties. So what does it mean? Maybe my peak is 90, maybe it's 200. Like, like, why am I going to put a ceiling on what possible? And that's another thing I do too. And I don't know if you do this, but like, I find mentors, I find people who are like ahead of me and I try to study them and I'm like, okay, how'd you get there? Right. Or if I see someone like at an airport and I watch them, I get the guys like men in particular, because, you know, and I do that with women as well. Like I try to really look at successful people. So there's no, no gender, you know, bias on that. But I try to like really look and go, okay, well, how did this person do it? It's like when you learn how to ski, you always want to ski with someone who's just a little bit better than you are. And you kind of follow them down the slope and eventually 
your skills increase. Balance gets better. Your endurance gets better. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think for, if I had a note of advice for people is that that person will appear in your life. And it's this incredible thing that happens to me where it's like, when I hit this point in my journey, whether it be career wise or athletic wise, some other person appears as better than me. And I'm like, how, where have you been? I'm like, I should know about you. Right. <laughs> and then, but I don't. And then I try to get that after that person. And then when I hit what they do, then suddenly a new person comes in. And I think it's that awareness, right? That the universe is constantly going to give you that next piece. And you also strike me as someone who's very open to that. Like, what is the next piece? What is the next step? Where is my next lesson to learn? I think there's a, a big factor of that that becomes part of, I, I notice it in your story. And I've also noticed it in other people who have, you know, overcovered, overcome things like trauma and chronic pain, things that are, can be quite devastating for people, but they've kind of flipped the, the script on it basically. Yeah. And I think that's being awake. That's a term right now that's I think a bit overused. I think my own opinion, because I don't know if people really know what they're talking about sometimes when they say that. And I think that being awake is like really looking, being present of like what's in front of you, like what is happening in front of you. Like, you know, like I'm looking at you. Like, I don't know. You have a message for me. What is that? I got to be thinking about chronic pain. Okay. Why is chronic pain come into my life? I got, like, am I dealing with that? Am I going to deal with that? Like, is that a piece I need to work on? You know, it's, it's that processing that for me is where life gets so exciting because I'm like, well, the universe is going to constantly be giving me things. I just got to wake up. Like if you saw my journal, like I have journals, like sometimes like before I go to bed, I'll literally write in capital letters, stay awake, exclamation, 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 right? To remind myself the next day to wake up and be like, no, like be alert. Like don't follow your own imaginations. At times follow what the universe is putting in front of you. Awesome. And we're going to stay curious with you because everyone who listens to this podcast is curious about how to solve complex health-related problems. In the interim, Matthew, please let everyone know how they can follow you and stay connected to your work and learn more about you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, they, I try my best to put things on social media and Instagram. and I'm not the greatest at it. I'm getting better, I think. But you can, mshope.com is kind of like the hub. So through that, you can find the Facebook, you can find the documentary, you can get a free cookbook, you can find all the social media stuff. Like all the links for the information you need to know come through mshope.com. And then if you're following, I try to keep it consistent on the various platforms. Again, not the greatest. We don't have a team, right? I mean, it's, you know, someone other, someone else wrote me, I'm doing another podcast and like, you know, can we get a hold of your PR people? I'm like, you know, you're talking to them. So <laughs> like, it's me. And like, I put my personal phone number on the website. And I'm really accessible that way. That's actually a fun thing for me because people call looking for MS over like, oh, hey, they just <laughs> they're shocked, right? And then they, then they don't know what to say, right? <laughs> they don't. They're just like, oh, yeah. I didn't think. I'm like, well, you know, like, this is the real deal. Like, you know, right. there's no person. layers here. Right. It's a real person. Like, this is real. Like, you know? Yeah. I get that too with emails. People email me same thing. Like, do you really treat pain? I'm like, yeah, yeah I do actually. And you say, yeah, I've been yeah. doing this for like, you know, three decades <laughs> and everything here is real. It's not. You know, there's no smoke and mirrors, basically. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's good, man. Keep it up. Yeah. All right. So everyone, again, check out his website, mshope.com. And the movie on Amazon Prime is Living Proof. At the end of every podcast, I ask you to share this with your friends, family, and colleagues on social media. Drop it in a Facebook group or other place where people are talking about 
MS, chronic pain, and how to overcome chronic disease. I'm Dr. Jeff Hatta. We'll see you soon. listening to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. To subscribe to the podcast and learn more, visit IntegrativePainScienceInstitute.com. That's IntegrativePainScienceInstitute.com. Sign up to receive weekly updates, leave a review on iTunes, and share this episode with your friends.